From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Gang-related violence has been a continual problem in impoverished inner-city neighborhoods throughout the United States. In Syracuse in 2010, a community trauma response team was established. Here in the HealthLink on Air studio to talk about the role of this team and its success is one of the founders, Timothy Jennings Bay. Welcome to HealthLink on Air. Thank you. So let's talk about how the community trauma response team came to be. A number of years ago, myself, former chief of police, Frank Fowler, and the president of the Common Council and co-founders of Mothers Against Gun Violence, Helen Hudson, uh, we were noticing in the community when we were responding to crime scenes, uh, which was on a volunteer basis for us, that the victims as well as the perpetrators of the crime, they were getting younger and younger. Um, I remember one night in particular, there were about seven shootings and one night and uh, at this particular shooting on the south side of the city, there was a, she had to be about between 12 and 14 uh, years old, a little girl, and she was uh, crying on the sidewalk hysterically. Obviously, you could tell she had a relationship with one of the individuals that was shot. Uh, we left that crime scene and made our rounds throughout the city to other crime scenes, and when we got back, the same little girl was still sitting on the sidewalk crying. Um, people were walking around her or just stepping over her like it was business as usual. Um, so the very next day, uh, myself, former chief of police, uh, Frank Fowler, and Helen Hudson, um, president of the Common Council here in the city, we sat down and came up with the uh, program called the Trauma Response Team. We wanted to address the victims outside of the yellow tape because there are thousands of victims outside of the yellow tape. Uh, I, I call trauma the invisible demon. Um, that's something you can't see. You don't know what people carry. You don't know what they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So we wanted to put a process in place to kind of you know, address that as much as we could. And so children or um, preteens are part of that, but not, not necessarily the limit to that. No, Adults and everybody's traumatized. Uh, if you live under uh, that canopy or there are particular zip codes in our city, 13204, 13205, where uh, there are gunshots day in and day out, uh, just to hear a gunshot is traumatizing, uh, let alone if you're unfortunate uh, to be hit by gunfire or if you're murdered, uh, because that changes the dynamic of the family overnight. Are you aware of other communities in the United States that have something similar, a, a community trauma response team like this? Well, we looked around. I don't think it's on this level. And I've, I've got calls from Seattle, Washington, everywhere. They wanted to know how were we able to maintain mm -hmm. this program over that long period of time. Um, there were a lot of hands in the pot, so to speak. Our former uh, mayor, Stephanie Miner, our current mayor, uh, and Deputy Mayor uh, Ben Walsh and uh, Sharon Owens uh, here at Upstate, Mark Budaleri, Social Work Department, uh, Syracuse University, which you see the article under the direction of Dean Murphy at the School of Falk. So there's a collaboration that doesn't get enough attention here in our city and in our county um, that speaks to this issue. Everybody having faith in my ability to articulate uh, the issue. So we're really above board here in Syracuse. There's a lot of good people at the table that uh, really have a vested interest in our families and our children um, dealing with this issue of trauma. 
Maybe the actual, the collaborative nature is what keeps it strong because you're nine, almost 10 years into yeah, this definitely. and it's still very well operating. And yep, definitely. So there was a paper published in the Journal of Urban Health in 2015 about this program. And it said there was a significant reduction in gang related gunshots and murders after the trauma response team was created. Is mm-hmm. that still the case? Yeah, it's still the case with a lot of our other partners, um, the SNUG program, which is directed by uh, Randy White. Uh, like I said, there's a, a great collaboration uh, in place. So that's still, you know, the fact a lot of times those statistics or numbers aren't shown because if I have a off-the-grid conversation with an individual, um, you know, that's operating from the standpoint of pride and ego and they want to hurt another individual, that's not something I could put on Channel 10 on the news or right, right. talk about it on the radio because some things are off the grid. So a lot of our work is off the grid. And that's one thing um, we've been, you know, taking a bull by the horns to see how we can actually uh, present this data without people being offended or exposing certain elements uh, in the community that people just, you know, want to keep to themselves when it comes to the neighborhood conflict. So how do you tie the drop to the existence of the team, though? Because these two things can be happening, but how do you make the connection that it's the team's presence that's having the impact? Is that pretty much everyone agrees that that's what it is? Or? Well, you could you could see if you look over you know a five or ten year period, there are other processes in place that hasn't changed those numbers, uh. right? So when we infuse our consciousness and we put boots on the ground. Uh, with our team, then you could kind of see things start to shift. The paradigm moves a little bit. Um, so, you know, that's how we look at things and how we measure it, right? Our presence and, you know, our relationship with the community and the families and the young people. And, you know, we just take full advantage of that. Um, it's a lot of hard work, you know. One of the things I pulled from this paper was that um, gang members were, um, they perpetrated 78% of the city's homicides. Um, right. Most of which were vengeance for a previous murder. Is that still percentage still that high? No, nah, the percentages went down. And right. what they found out about Syracuse, New York, the uh, neighborhood conflict situation here is not like bigger cities like a Chicago or a Philadelphia. Here, it's it's very difficult to get a handle on because it's what they call interpersonal violence. So it's kind of like the Hatfields and the McCoys, like. If you shoot somebody I love, then we come back, we try to shoot or kill somebody you love, and then it just goes back and forth, right? There's really no rhyme and reason to it. When you think of gang, you think of some type of structure. Right, more organized. more organized, but here is more neighborhood conflict and more interpersonal. Well, even so, there's some gang members from the largest gangs in this area have been prosecuted and put in prison, and I wonder if their absence from the streets has made a difference, if you see if that's an impact or, or not? Not really. It's kind of an ebb and flow. Um, you know, as they say, if you remove something, nature will fill that void. So unfortunately, you have young people growing up in poverty and the overexposure to the trauma. Um, and sometimes as children, their brains are not fully developed, so they make those mistakes. Um, they start running with a peer group making the wrong decisions and they find themselves in, you know, bad situations. 
Let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Timothy Jennings Bay about the Community Trauma Response Team in Syracuse. I want to ask you to talk about what it's like for someone who's not a gang member, but who lives in one of these census tracts where violence and gang activity is high. Um, what, what can parents do to keep their kids safe in that community? Well, I always ask the question because people outside of the community, um, the only way you could connect with people on any level, especially under the canopy of trauma, you have to display some type of empathy. So I always ask people, how would you parent in a war zone? Because it's a war zone. Right. How would you parent? How would you go about parenting your son or your daughter? Well, you think of a war zone and you think of, you know, keeping them sheltered. They don't go outside. You don't let them be near a window. You don't, I mean, you live in a prison of your own home, right? Right. So people start to move uh, based off of fear. They did an interesting uh, study. Um, uh, a friend of ours and a colleague, he works downstate, um, uh, well, throughout the state, but he's from Yonkers. He's uh, one of the directors for the SNUG program. And they uh, did an experiment with some mice, but they left the mice to their own devices. But in the midst of the in the midst of this experiment, they took one cat hair and dropped it in the middle of the mice. And they all started to break out and go to their respective corners and wouldn't move. They were almost stifled by fear. So that's kind of the same thing we see in the community. That one gunshot is like that cat hair, right? And it moves people to their respective corners. And sometimes people don't want to cross boundaries because we've lost so much. There are so many children um, that's been buried um, in this dynamic since we started keeping the numbers with Mothers Against Gun Violence since 1996. It's over 400 and some odd people murdered, right? That's not natural, right? Right here in Syracuse. Right here in Syracuse. And you have children who grow up, they're part of these families, they're part of this community, they're exposed to this, and then we expect them to go to school and sit down and get good grades. So we're, we're... we're asking the impossible of these young people and their families. What does it do to a person when it's continual violence that they witness or that they hear? Um, and you mentioned like trying to go to school and study. Is that even possible? You become numb, right? You really become numb to things around you. Uh, it's hard for you to feel, uh, right? You start to calculate in your mind that I could be next. So now you have you know, suicidal, homicidal ideation. You start looking at your friends and your peer group wondering who's going to be next. So it's almost like being on a roller coaster. You know, when you go up a roller coaster and right when you reach the pinnacle of it and it drops, imagine living with that feeling in your stomach every day. That angst that's just there. Yeah, every day. Wow. Well, it might be simplistic to say, well, they should just move. That's not a solution. Right. People can't just move out of this right. environment. Right. And, and as they say, no matter where you go, there you are. Yeah. Right. So just to move where. Right. And, and you have to remember, a lot of these people uh, live under the canopy of poverty. Um, so to move that, that sounds logical, but not possible. Yeah, that's a hurdle. That's a major hurdle. So this community trauma response team, can you walk me through 
when there is a violence or a shooting in the community, what does the response team, how are you activated? What do you do? What is your role? Well, my phone is hooked to the 911 center um, along with other team members. So the call will come out. It will give the location, the description of the individual, and the nature of the injuries. Um, it's slowed down a little, but in the past, uh, we would go directly to the crime scene and we would act as a liaison between the police department and the community. Because when we created it, I understand that's a stress relationship historically. So to act as a liaison between the families and the police department, I felt that was important because somebody shot and experiencing that type of trauma, the last thing you want is more confusion. So that's what we call the first level of response. The second level, we come here to upstate um, and respond at the emergency room. Because that's the trauma center. Because that's the trauma center, right? So um, try to keep the ambulance bay clear because ambulance still have to come in and out. You have people who may be getting out of their personal vehicles or Uber or a cab with sick children, or they may be sick and run into a dynamic that they know nothing about. Right. So we try to act as a liaison between the hospital staff and the community as well to get families in. Right. In a, a, a timely and, you know, a manner uh, where they still feel whole and respected. And then the third level. We have to follow up process with Mothers Against Gun Violence, where they, you know, they check on families and family members to make sure uh, they're exposed to the necessary resources that they need after they experience uh, a trauma or a tragedy. And then we do preventive things like we'll go on the corner and fry turkeys and hand out apple cider, lemonade, hot dogs, hamburgers, just to keep those lines of communication open. Because the last thing I didn't want to do was have people in the community feel like uh, we're just showing up when something happens. And that's not the case. We're always visible and present. When something does happen, and, and this paper talked about the vengeance killings, you know, someone gets killed. Do you immediately think about, okay, what's the retaliation going to be? What can we do to intervene and prevent it? Naturally. That's where our SNUG program in the city of Syracuse, uh, they come into play. They manage the conflict or those conflicts. So they infuse themselves into that process, go to both sides of the aisle, and to see if we can you know, come up with some peaceful measures so another mother doesn't have to feel that pain mm. of, of other mothers in our community. What can you tell me about the Street Addiction Institute? Street Addiction Institute. This is where I think um, people, even here in the city of Syracuse or across our country, downplay the genius that we have here uh, in the city of Syracuse. So street addiction is a theory that I created that highlights the fact that the streets have an addictive nature, just like cocaine, alcohol, or gambling. And people who are reared in that process are in need of respite and rehabilitation before you can um, mainstream them back into any quote-unquote traditional educational setting, job setting, or career path. Uh, that theory doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Um, and it came right here from Syracuse. And I'm from those same zip codes that these young people, I'm from that same trauma. Right. Um, which I turned that trauma into triumph. Right. I looked at it, um, you know, and, and I said something good has to come out of this eventually. So I don't take the work light. All of my friends, even the young people uh, who lose their lives recently, um, I, I see this as a ministry. I, I try to speak for those who aren't able to speak anymore. 
And so I, I take the work very seriously because it's my ministry. I feel like that's what I was born to do. I feel like that's why I survived uh, to be able to articulate this side of the aisle. Well, it's important work. Thank you to uh, Timothy Jennings Bay, one of the founders of the Community Trauma Response Team in Syracuse. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.